Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. continuing this scripture series on scriptural speed bumps, those portions of the Bible that are uncomfortable, they kind of trip us up. Unfortunately, they seem to be the ones that everyone outside of the church is aware of and likes to point out to us, right? Now, you think Jesus is a great, there's some weird stuff in your book, and you're like, yeah, I know, but can't we just focus on the grace? No, we can't. We need to address these things. And so this worship series is designed to confront those things. That's why on September 23rd, I'll be preaching to you on why women should stay silent in church. It's my birthday, and I'll preach if I want to. So as we continue this, and as we look at it, this is an infamous text, right? People don't like the fact that this is in here. And sometimes Christians have tried to explain it away, right? Hanarabi's code, so, you know, this is something that was from outside of the tradition that was plugged in here, and, you know, we just have to just kind of gloss over that. Or some people, I love this move, some people like to shift and go, well, Jesus said that we had heard this, but actually it's this way. And so Jesus just fixed it. Jesus negated that. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Jesus negates that. Well, that's not really great theology to be saying that the New Testament negates the Old Testament, especially since Jesus didn't say, I came to negate the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus wasn't in the habit of negating things, but instead reconciling them. So how do we get reconciled with this text that gets a little morbid for some of us, ends up like a slasher film at the end? So how do we get past that? Because we don't want to become Christians who adopt a negative theology, and you've probably heard this. Well, Jesus came to show us who God really is. So there's this God of the Old Testament who's really angry and vengeful and almost hateful. And yet Jesus is our friend and our shepherd, and we love Jesus. We don't like that God of the Old Testament. I got news for you. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. That's our theology, right? That the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all united. So therefore, We're bad Trinitarians if we start playing that game. Nobody wants to be a bad Trinitarian, so we're not going to play that game. Instead, we're going to work really hard to figure out what is going on here. Because let's just be honest. Human nature likes revenge. Human nature enjoys enacting a little vengeance when we think that we have been wronged. When we have been hurt when our feelings have been trampled, when we find ourselves in physical or emotional or mental pain, when we are suffering, we want the person or the persons that we think are responsible to not only feel our pain, but to feel more. If I hurt this bad, you should hurt really bad. And that's a very natural thing. It's universal. It runs throughout all humanity. There's not a world religion that doesn't address that, that we want. You know, if you hurt me an inch, I'm going to hurt you for a mile. It's natural. 
but it's not right. Okay? It's not right. That's not what God wants. And if we look a little further here in the Scripture, chapter 21 starts out, these are the ordinances that you shall set before them. So this is what Moses was commanded to put before the Israelites after they've received their covenant at Mount Sinai. It also goes on to say things like this. Whoever strikes a father or a mother shall be put to death. Have you ever seen a kid hit their parents? I don't do that many funerals. So we know that we are not putting children to death for striking. Instead, what do we say to the child? We don't hit mommy and daddy. We're not going to do that. That's wrong. You know, the parent doesn't turn around and wallop the kid around the face. Because if they did, I'd be doing more funerals. Right? That's not how that happens. It also goes on to say, whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. Never have I heard, I hate you, out of the mouth of a son or daughter today. Not today. But you wait, preschool drop-off, there's going to be some kid that's like, I hate you, I don't want to go. And I don't have to be like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take possession of your child and do a funeral. That's not how that works. Instead, we teach the child the correct language. You may say that you're frustrated that you don't want to go. We teach children so that they will become adults who don't resort to things that will require the death penalty. Because God doesn't want us to be killing everybody. If God wanted everybody dead, God can do that rather effectively. We see that rather quickly in Genesis. Instead, God is asking us to go a little deeper and to seek to be in right relationship. And as hard as this is, and as alien a concept as this is going to sound, this is actually about restraining us. The passage that I read to you from Exodus is about restraining the very natural human desire and inclination for revenge and vengeance. Because all of us feel that impulse. And this morning, there was this wonderful opportunity to experience human impulse so for our Rise and Shine Children's Worship Service, we had all these kids up here, and Amy David, who leads that with me, got up and had bubbles and said, I'm going to blow some bubbles, to which multiple children instantly responded, in the church? So you're raising them well. <laughs> yes, in the church. And it's going to be okay, because trust me, they're not going to let a bubble hit the carpet. It was fine. They were going to pop all the bubbles. And Amy said, I'm going to blow the bubbles, and I want you to pop the bubbles. Done. They were excited. All right, here we go. They were jockeying for position, and they were ready to pop some bubbles because that's like the inclination, right? There is something deeply embedded in the human psyche, probably from the first human beings ever created, that sees a bubble and must pop it. And so these children were ready to unleash their inner bubble poppers. And as they were getting ready, and as she was blowing bubbles, and they're popping the bubbles, and I was like, don't smack the kid in front of you popping a bubble. You know, you worry that second when it lands on the kid in the front, and you're like, oh, all the hands are coming. And then by the grace of God, the bubble pops on its own, and just in the nick of time, they pull their hands back, and you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So they were doing this, and then Amy said, all right, we're going to try something new. This time, you can't pop the bubbles. Wait, what? You can't pop the bubbles. I'm not allowed to pop the bubbles. I, we just said that. You can't pop the bubbles. You have to control yourself. All right? And then this is where personalities start to emerge. Some of the children were like, pockets, whatever. One kid was like, I'm just going to lay face down. I'm just going to lay face down. I don't see the bubbles. There are no bubbles. It's fine. I won't pop the bubbles.
And so they're, they're, they're enacting this. And some kid, I love it. One kid's like, forget it. I'm going for the bubbles. It's in me. God, put it here. I'm going for the bubbles. And I will repent later. Bad theology. So this was the children, though, exploring self-control, right? Trying to figure out what did they need to do. And the brilliance of some of the children immediately thought, my impulse is going to be to pop. Therefore, I need to restrain my hands, right? Other children put them behind their back. One kid had them in his pocket. It was really kind of like GQ of him. And you just notice that some people will automatically, when they've been told, they will seek to restrain themselves. Other people need God to tell them more explicitly, right? Other people need God to create a boundary through which they shall not transgress because we know that that inner compulsion to pop bubbles or slash tires or pour sugar in gas tanks, I have never done any of those things. The inner compulsion to do those things is so strong that under the pain and suffering that we encounter in this world, we are in just incapable and unable to restrain ourselves voluntarily. We know that we will enact a wrath the likes of which only God knows. And so God says, I am creating a boundary for you. I need you to live within this boundary. Did you catch the beginning of the passage? The passage says, if any harm follows, you shall give. This isn't about what we will take. This is about what we will give. The law was given such that the person that has done the wrong, the onus is on them to give, to respond, and how can I make this right? It's not a passage about, I've been wronged and I get to take your eye. Get over here. That's not what it's about. Because God knows that if you don't set a limit, we will take more right? If someone takes out my eye and then I take out their eye and then their mom gets really angry and comes and takes out my other eye, my mom is going for broke. And the cycle will continue. It will never stop. There's always some cousin somewhere willing to take up that cross. Instead, God said that the beginning should be the person upon recognizing they have done wrong, they should seek to give, to give in order to be reconciled, to fit the relationship back together. If you spend all your time hacking off fingers, we're never going to fit back together. After a while, nobody's got any limbs to go back together anyway. Instead, we are being invited to have our response be our desire to first give in this passage. And that's what Jesus showed us. He came here, God incarnate, and for 33 years walked this earth and encountered the desire for vengeance, encountered sin and sickness and perversion and institutionalized sin and communal sin, all of it. And his response was not to say, let me see what I can take. Let me see what I can bring back with me when I ascend. His entire ethos and life, his earthly ministry, it was embodied in his giving. Over and over again, he's wronged. People reject him. They speak against him. They try to trap him. And Jesus, at no point, takes from them. 
Instead, he continues to give. You don't believe in me? I'm going to heal him. I'm going to give to him. These people are hungry. You won't feed them. I will feed them. These people need to be cleansed and they need to have a fresh start. I will erase their burdens in their past. All of these who thought they couldn't be in because they're not Jews, I will give them salvation because the response is to give. And Jesus gave everything. Gave until there was no more life in his body. And then God Almighty said, I'm not done giving. And on the third day, he gave him back. He gave him back. The response was, you have taken everything. The earth had stripped him of his life, his dignity, his ministry, everything. And yet God said, I will not only give you all of that, I will give you eternal life. That's the model. That's where we should be aspiring to. Now, I recognize that our culture is all about punitive damages. We're all about ensuring that, you know, you lost your laptop. Why don't you get his car? Is that equal? If someone hits me, do I have the right to dismember them? The compulsion says yes. The inside, and that's what resonates with all of us. The inside, all of us go, yeah, that was evil. That was hurtful and harmful, and they deserve a little something extra. God says, stop trying to get ahead. Start trying to be reconciled. And we have to work really hard at that because we're battling that inner bubble-popping nature Right, the inside of us that says, it's a lot easier. I'm, I know you've never heard this before. It's a lot easier to beg for forgiveness. Right? Said no Christian ever today. I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. Forgive me, Lord. Instead, we have to look to see what our response should be. If every person who does something wrong, and we do things wrong daily, if every single one of us would spend our time thinking, how can I give back for what I have taken? If I have spoken wrong of someone, if I have spoken words of hurt, am I willing to come back the next day and not only speak words of praise and thanksgiving to them, but to others? If I post something negative on social media, am I willing to come back and post something positive and affirming? You know, I'm trying to live this out. It's very frustrating because I have a lot of negative words to share with the world. It's a burden of mine, right? You have a lot of negative words. And so I've tried to come up with something that I admire, even though I'm struggling with whatever it is, right? So someone was talking to me about another religion. And I said, you know what? I was ready. I mean, I have all kinds of doctrinal and biblical reasons for why we should eviscerate this, right? And I was like, but you know what? I'll tell you what I really appreciate about that religion. I appreciate their deep commitment to mission work. Uh, we don't agree on anything else, but I appreciate the fact that their practitioners are out every single week involved in mission work to that extent, and I would love to see my religion and my denomination have that same commitment. The other religion is still theologically wrong. Just saying. 
But what it does is it forces us to look at someone else and see what all of us have to focus on every day. We see a perpetrator. We see an oppressor. We see an abuser, someone who has hurt us and wronged us. And that is not negated. That is true. But the Christian must struggle with looking also and seeing that just as God looks down and sees me as a child of God, that one too is a child of God. And what can I do? What can we do? How can we work together? How can we seek to be reconciled? Because if we want to continue embodying our human nature, we're going to obliterate life on this planet. We're going to obliterate what God created and said, it is good. It is good until we start trying to take and not give. And the model is giving. It's the model. At 9.30, we had a mom and her preschool child come up and be baptized together. And I just want to point out to you that the whole time I'm doing this, I'm thinking to myself, do you know how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ would refuse to let this moment happen? They would not let this happen because they would say, well, yeah, he can talk, but he's not of age to be baptized. Or, you know, this isn't quite how things are supposed to work. Why is she this old and just now getting baptized? But instead, the response of the church is to give. They said they wanted the baptism. They wanted the tangible sign of grace. And the church said, it's yours. It's yours. And mom knelt down and then her son knelt down. She was still taking her membership vows and he knelt down. He was ready. He was ready to receive. And when we are in a midst of a world that is all about taking and prying and revenge and ultimate vengeance, then we have to restrain our desire to participate in that system. That system will fail because vengeance shall never be filled. It is a sinful, bottomless pit that will never be satisfied. It will never be fully fed. It will never stop. The only thing that will ever satisfy us, no matter how much we've been hurt or how much we have hurt anybody else, is grace. It's the only thing that can satisfy us. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven and the living water. Those who have me will never be hungry or thirsty again. Those who have me will never thirst for righteousness again because we're busy keeping tabs here on earth, right? I bet you could give me a nice list, each and every one of you, of the people who have wronged you and what you would like to see God do to them or what you would like to see God let you do to them. But instead, God says, I've got this. My memory is better than yours. My memory will outlast your life. And I will handle this. So you have to focus on what you can do when you sin and you hurt and you cause pain. That is where we are empowered. I cannot change the other, but I can change what I will do. 
I can change how I will look at another human being. I can change how I will respond when I am hurt and when I live in suffering. And that is where the power of the cross truly is. We can choose grace or we can withhold it. But God said, I am giving you this so freely and in such abundance. Why would you deny it to another? I'm giving it to you. Go and seek grace and give it when people want it. And that's what we will struggle with. And that's why we turn to God and we say, Lord, give me the boundary. In my moment of weakness, I will transgress this boundary if you do not give me a place to stop and stay in your grace. And that is what Exodus is really about. It is not about hurting and continuing the cycle of vengeance, for that will never be filled. Instead, it is about choosing to give and to be the first to say, I am sorry, and I want your forgiveness. May that be our living legacy this day and every day until God wipes away all sin and there will never be a need for that again. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.